Hi, and welcome to another episode of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. In 2019, Time magazine released its list of 100 of the greatest places to visit in the world. And one of them is Canada's Wonderland, located just north of Toronto. It is where you'll find the new Yukon Striker, claimed to be the tallest, fastest, and longest dive roller coaster in the world. Opened in 1981, Canada's Wonderland was Canada's first major theme park and remains the country's largest. And it was designed by Forec, the internationally recognized entertainment design firm based right here in Toronto. Since those early days of theme park design, Forec has quickly emerged to become one of the industry's premier designers of entertainment destinations across the globe. And in an industry that constantly demands cutting-edge new ideas, Forec shows no signs of slowing down as it continues to expand its array of creative new concepts to ensure its clients' customers keep coming back for more. To talk about Forec and the exciting world of entertainment destination design, I'm joined by Mr. Kale Height, a landscape architect who's been with the company for over 25 years, and as of October 2017, is now its president and CEO. So Kale, it's a real pleasure to speak with you today. Good afternoon, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I want to start off just on a personal note. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was a kid in the 1980s, my late father, who is a PR consultant and a freelance writer that specialized in writing about architecture, urban planning, design, mostly in the Toronto area, he would often come home with glossy brochures of the firms he interviewed. And one of those firms was Forec. Um, and I distinctly remember him marveling about the kind of work your company did, even back then. Uh, so here I am, to a certain extent, continuing where my, my dad left off, excited as he was to learn uh, more about the kind of work you do. So with that, it's a tremendous honor to have you here with me today. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Now, on your company website, let's just start with your company website. Forec is described, described as an entertainment design company that creates places of escape and destinations of distinction. I, I really, really like that description because it kind of gets to the heart of what theme parks are all about, mm. being an escape from reality. Um, can you talk about the notion of escape and what makes theme parks so appealing to so many people in so many countries? Yeah, sure. It's, it's my pleasure to talk about this industry. In, in fact, theme parks is just one aspect of what we do, and in, it's, it's probably what we're best known for. Right. And really the focus, whether it's a theme park, a visitor attraction, or a water park, or a resort, or a shopping center, it's all about thinking of the visitor, thinking of the experience that people are uh, um, able to enjoy escape, whether you're shopping. Shopping is a way of escaping and and taking away, you know, some of your troubles of the day and just enjoying Mm -hmm. the moment. And what's really wonderful about the stuff we do, it's usually done in large groups. It's socializing. And especially in this day and in an age where people are playing games in their basement and hiding out and watching Netflix or something like that, it's really 
amazing that people still gather together and socialize and, and the world is changing. And for theme parks or for visitor attractions and so on, what really gets me excited is it brings people together, whether they're family or friends, and you get to share those moments and talk about them even before you're excited before you get there mm-hmm. and you're really uh, energized once you leave because it's been such a great experience. And if, as you said, with your father, it's the same with me. I, I think of the days where I used to visit Canada's Wonderland mm-hmm. with my family and I just remember running from roller coaster to roller coaster and how much fun that was and and seeing the smile on my family's face and and knowing that we all had a great time is really what what we do and why it's so magical and so that's um that's kind of a sentiment that is replicated around the world I I, I imagine that and that there's this sort of universal desire to escape and to be in that sort of social environment. For sure. It, you know, it's, it's funny. I have a story of one time I was at the airport and I was showing my passport and this is going to the United States. And I had an Iranian stamp on my, like a, a visa on my, my passport. And the custom officer asked me, well, what were you doing in, in Iran? And, and I said to him, well, we designed, we're designing a theme park for them. And he said, well, why do they need that? And I it shocked me in a way that, well, they're people too, and they need to escape and they need to have fun, just like everyone else in the world. And really, globally, no matter what's the situation in emerging markets or you know well-developed mm-hmm. markets, people want to have that time, again, to socialize and engage with their family and friends. And what better way to do it than, a, than an, an entertaining way such as a theme park or a water park? But why not, just a side question, why sure. not just um, a beautiful part of a, of a community or of a, of a municipality, say uh, a beachfront destination that is still part of reality, but it is an escape? Why, what is it about the, the theme parks that, that, that um, is so distinct that allows them to uh, experience that escape? Yeah, it, well, in today's day and age, it's, it's very different. So in the past... Um, you know, before Disney, and bef- there was these Luna parks. If I'm not sure if you know the history of theme parks, but they really started with what we call amusement parks, and they were just rides of thrill and so on, either on piers mm-hmm. um, or little carnivals and things like that. And that's where um, you know initially it started, and it was just something different that they couldn't experience at home. And I think that's fundamental. Mm -hmm. But in today's day and age, the really big thing that we see growing are brands, branded parks. And you'll see that a little bit at Canada's Wonderland, but you mentioned Disney before or Universal Studios, who's a a big client of ours, Mm -hmm. or Legoland. And really what people want to experience are the brands that they see Mm -hmm. in the media. They want to actually feel it and be part of it. And that's really the big trend right now that we're seeing is people are unlike a, a resort, but frankly, actually resorts now are being branded. And we see the Hard Rock uh, brands, we see Nickelodeon brands, we see all kinds of brands imp- being implemented. Disney, Disney Carnival Cruises is such a huge market now. It's a, one of their biggest growing um, revenue sources. And it's because of that brand resonates with people. And it's part of the, o- the overall experience of the brands love it because it's a great extension of the experience that they get from people uh, when they when they recognize that that brand. So do you find that um, the way the industry is evolving, and I'm thinking water parks, casinos, as mm. you said, cruise ships, yep. uh, and, and even mixed-use development. For sure. That is, is it increasingly a, a challenge to integrate 
that kind of theme park design with um, those established types of developments? Well, that, that's a great question. And, and frankly, the industry has changed over time. And initially, a long time ago, there would be one-offs. Canada's Wonderland would never be built today the, the way it is. It's it's not a great business model. For today, it's, it's doing well. But what it meant at that time, and it, it made sense. But if we go across the globe, what's happening is what I call integrated resorts or inter- integrated developments, where it just doesn't include the theme park. It's, it's a full um, program of whether it's hotels, actually whether it's residential or commercial, uh, water parks, theme parks, indoor attractions, all different things that are mixed together. So more and more, our work is not a one-off theme park or water park. It's a, a destination. It's a place to go. Uh, we do mixed-use developments across the world, and all of them have entertainment. You know, we hear the buzzword re- uh, retailtainment, mm-hmm. um, and we see big boxes uh, because the, a lot of the shopping centers are struggling as as um, shopping is changing with online and so on. And, and we see uh, different brands or different um, companies pulling out of large shopping malls. Mm-hmm. What happens is there's big boxes and, and our developers are looking for what to do. Mm-hmm. And part of our role as entertainment designers is helping them come up with options that will still drive people to these destinations or to, to, to even go to the shopping mall. Okay, I want to get into the themes of that um, in, in a moment. But sure. first, can we just talk a bit, little bit about Forex itself? I mentioned uh, Canada's Wonderland in my in my intro that you were uh, you certainly were part of the original design. But I understand it wasn't your first project. It was Expo '67, uh, the World Fair in Montreal, uh, where um, you helped design a number of the pavilions. Um, for those who are uh, new to Canada, uh, Expo 67 was probably Canada's greatest um, modern-day celebration <laughs> to celebrate our, our centennial. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about your early days, uh, how Forec evolved over the years, and what's been the secret of your firm's success? Sure. Well, I think uh, just to talk a little bit about our history, you, you nailed it with Expo 67, and um, going going back far in those days, we actually had a different name. We were a different company at the time, and we were a traditional landscape architecture company, and we focused on really great projects around the city or in Canada, uh, whether it's Fathom 5 uh, Park up in Tobemori or uh, Trinity Square here at the Eaton Centre or Ryerson, the whole campus, or Ryerson Skating Rink, which I used to, I love skating there. Those are projects that probably people wouldn't, resonate with Forex completing. Yeah. Uh, and, and those are projects that we're very proud of, but uh, we've evolved over time and, and they're kind of our history and we're very proud of them. And we're very opportunistic. And if you, you know, I was thinking about this the other day is, you know, what is our, our strategy for growing? And I, I don't think it's because we didn't have a strategy. We just, we looked at what the opportunity was and we went for it. You know, recently, well, not too recently ago, we had an opportunity to do the original Casino Niagara with Reich and Patch here in Toronto. And we we didn't, had never designed a casino before, but we took it, took it on to do it. And since then, we did a number of slot clubs here in Ontario, not having any experience. And from that, we learned it. And we um, that knowledge has helped us through the, the years get more work. And it's the, the way that Forex works, we're very agile. And um, the other thing that I wanted to share with you is we start off, as I said, as, as landscape architects originally. And as we grew um, and our 
clients really enjoyed working with us, they asked, well, could you do this? And I think it was that, why not? Why not try? It's that opportunistic mentality that we had. And so slowly we became, we're, you know, architects of record here in Ontario. Uh, we have interior designers, graphic designers. We do wayfinding and we have a creative house as well. And so we're not afraid to tackle pretty much mm. anything. And that's the kind of the, the beauty of, and, and the history of Forec. We started off as a very traditional mm-hmm. company and wherever the opportunity you know, drew us to, we went for. And I think what's really exciting and is our global aspect, which is phenomenal. And I, I, you know, I'm very proud of what we do. And frankly, it's why I love and I've been at Forex for so long. I've seen places in the world that I never imagined as a landscape architect. And I've traveled to too many, too many countries to count. And I've worked in places that I couldn't imagine ever seeing. Hmm. And what's beautiful about that is, we get to see and experience cultures of all over the world and it's always a challenge and learning the culture and understanding the culture but also seeing you know as a landscape architect i you know i always when i first started in my career i enjoyed master planning putting puzzles together and really looking at the big picture and going global and doing that is even more phenomenal because there's so many assets and so many things that you have to consider as you design these these mm-hmm. projects around the world and you know, in the end, it's it's all about. For me, it's it's just the joy and experience of working on challenges and seeing the execution and and seeing the project through to the end, and then seeing the smiling faces as people really get to experience and create those memories. I said earlier on. So it sounds like that's a um, a sentiment that is carried through with the rest of the team at Forec that everyone. I think that's a fundamental uh, requirement that you have to be excited about new opportunities. Um, just tell me a little bit more about the complexity of the staff. And I'm, I'm really curious about being based in Toronto. Um, is there anything about being a Toronto-based firm that gives you the edge uh, when you're working abroad? I truly do believe it, it does, specific to the city. Toronto's a very multicultural city. We have, we, we actually polled the other day and we have 28 languages spoken in our office, oh, which wow. is pretty incredible. Yeah. And, and How many staff do you have? We have about 140 here and then we have an office in Shanghai and two locations in the US, but they're, they're more business development offices. And uh, it's pretty incredible that I think because of that cultural acceptability and because we're Canadian, it's not just being tr- from Toronto, it's we're Canadian. And I think we're open and we're, we're people who care and listen and are thoughtful and respectful, uh, which I think goes a long way when we're meeting all over the world. As I said to you, we, we've done work in Iran many, many years ago. We've done work, you know, in places that, you know, our neighbors down south do not have the opportunity to. And I think because we're, we're Canada, we used to joke that that we're kind of the United Nations of, as a design firm. And, and the beauty of, of us as, as that multicultural aspect of our, our firm is when we have projects, whether it's in Vietnam or Korea or Dubai, there's people who typically are, have either been born there or live there, work there from our office, and we usually get them engaged in the project to help not only with 
language issues, but also with just cultural subtleties that we need to understand. You know, body language. I've been to China in meetings where the the chairman is very thankful and he's shaking his head yes, and we think it's all great. And then uh, we have, as I said, an office in China, so our, our employees there are saying, they didn't really like what you did. And, and I'm going, yeah, but I just saw that he was very thankful. And he said, yeah, but he's just being polite. And so it's those subtleties that really are things that we've learned over the years. And having people in our office to help with that and, and observe that is really beneficial. So help people in your local office sure. in, in Shanghai. So is it just, you said just Shanghai or there's... Uh, yeah, just Shanghai. But we also, um, we have two offices, one in Orlando and one in LA. Okay. Um, but, but really the point is with our people here in Toronto, we we used to have what we called the because we did 60% of our work has been in China over the years or more and we had this team it's a task group called the Chinese Cultural Commission and basically what we did is we'd be working on projects and we have people fresh from China people who have been here for a long time or people who are second second generation or first generation and we'd have them sit in and on our design shreds and and ask them is this going to work in that culture and it's really interesting to get that perspective. And I think that's what our our uh, benefit is in Toronto because we have that diverse group of employees. And, you know, when we get, when we hire people, we're, it doesn't necessarily matter that they have a license here in Toronto to work or not because we're working globally. So we're very happen, happy and open to bringing on people uh, from all over the world to, to work for us. Well, one of the um, one of the downsides to Toronto's um, prosperity is that it's almost a victim of its own success. We're drawing in uh, huge investments, but we can't seem to keep up on the talent front, certainly in, in the tech world. Um, are you finding similar challenges in, in, in uh, drawing in the kind of talent you need to uh, to meet your clients' needs abroad? For sure, that's a, a great question. And, and we do struggle with, with um, hiring good talent and, and keep them at Forex. And I think one of the reasons is, is because we're so global, we're not known so locally. So it's we don't have construction a lot of construction sites here in Toronto. We we're doing our best to and we acquired a, a local landscape architecture firm recently and and also an interior firm. And it's it's great to walk along the city and see a billboard with your sign on it that your company sign. But our company sign is in China or in the Middle East. And so to recruit people is, is always a challenge. And we set up a sponsorship um, with schools uh, not too long ago and, and had that as, a, as hopefully an edge to start educating people that we're, hey, we're here and we're looking for great people. And we have an internship program um, ongoing. And so the biggest challenge for us is really attracting people because they don't, they haven't heard about our brand here. But even if they haven't heard of your brand, I mean, what you do sounds pretty interesting and exciting. It is, and and once people come in and see our firm and see how we act, we're we're and and the process of our design, we're about storytelling, and we're about the experience of people engaged in the spaces and creating that experience and really thinking about that. The design is important. The look is also important. But fundamentally, what we're thinking all, all the time is the end user and how what their experience will be. And that does attract, you know, it's, it's exciting for people because it's a different mentality, a different way of thinking. Mm. Truthfully, though, not everyone wants that. Some people want to win uh, architectural awards and be published for... Um, you know, the great designs they do. And we do 
Um, but not to the, that's not our priority, and that's something that we're not focused on. We're focused on servicing our clients and, and making sure they achieve their goals, mm-hmm. and also, as I said earlier, the end user. Well, let's talk a little bit about your clients, and maybe you can shed light on, on one or two projects that you're, uh, you're currently working on, you're, you, you worked on in the past, that you're very proud of that really um, encapsulates what, what Forec is capable of doing. Sure. I, I think for us, the, uh, I have two projects I, I like to share with you, and, and they resonate with one of our, our key things right now is focusing on, on our clients and really thinking about what, what their needs are and continually to not worry about what the contract says, but how we can deliver. And, and one project um, that I'll share with you is called AS Roma, and it's, it's in Rome, and it's for the football team. And the owner uh, happens to be in Boston, and he found us, I think he was just Googling around for designers and unusual designers, because he worked with more of a traditional designer at one point, and one wasn't necessarily happy with that they weren't necessarily listening to what he was trying to get. This is to build a football stadium? This is to build a football stadium. Now, he already had um, a a world-class designer doing the football stadium, but beyond that was what we're really strong at, which is the mixed-use development. um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the expression RD&E, which is Retail Dining Entertainment Street, and we created that for them. So the the interesting thing was they wanted to create this retail-tainment-type experience that and, and obviously for commercial reasons too. And what do people do before and after a football game or a soccer game is that, you know, they go to a bar, they go to a restaurant, they may shop or there's some entertainment. And also, if, if you can imagine a large stadium, 85,000 seat stadium, and the aspect of crowd handling and that, and, and we as theme park designers, we handle large crowds. You can have up to 20,000 even more at any given time in some of the parks and and some even more at that at, at that stage and it, we as a as a designer really consider how do you engage people how do you handle people entering the stadium which is typically more dispersed over time you're you're grabbing some drinks you're taking your time and then you enter it and as you leave is when you have the the great crowds and and that's really when we need to handle you know, how do you handle those people and keep them there? You it's don't, that fan experience, right, that you're trying to promote. For sure. And so our, our client hired us not only because of that and not only because we could do that retail dining entertainment experience, but we knew how to engage people. And, and we looked at, we actually designed for them a Hall of Fame for the football team. And so it's not only the, the core and shell of the buildings, it's, it's an experience before and after or when the stadium isn't active and people want to just come to that location for lunch and be fan crazy and really enjoy, um, you know, AS Roma and all, everything about that culture. So is that project now complete or it's... Unfortunately, <laughs> that was, is one that we, we sometimes experience projects in the world where they hire us to do something and then there's roadblocks. And the roadblock right now for them is getting government approvals and that's where they're held up. Um, so, so I'm someday I'm hopeful that it will continue. And we took the project through to schematic design phase, and then a local architect carried it on through to further documentation. Mm. And I really truly believe, and and we see that at other football stadiums or soccer stadiums around the world or baseball stadiums, that more and more people are doing that type of development. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier, which is that mixed use thing. People don't come to destinations for just one thing. To have that multiple aspects really makes it attractive to people 
whether you live or you work or you play, but also uh, revenue-wise, it makes sense for developers. You know, it's uh, it's something that you need to consider. And as I mentioned earlier, the one-offs of theme parks or water parks really aren't the successful thing anymore. You need to really think about the multifaceted mm-hmm. development approaches. And then the other project I want to share with you, which is um, you know one that's true to, true to my heart is uh, Legoland. And we're working on a project in uh, China right now called uh, Legoland Shenzhen. It's in the south, just across the, the, um, the causeway from Hong Kong. And that's a pretty interesting project. So way back, um, I, I've been working with Legoland since 1998 and that, the, for Legoland Germany. And that was my first big push at Forec where I was a project manager. And since then, Legoland themselves, they, they've grown from a one-off theme park to now integrated resorts. Hmm. So like Legoland Shenzhen, which we're working on now, it's, it's a big development. They have 50,000 square meters of commercial development. They have 1,300 hotel keys. They have two amusement parks plus a water park. And on top of that, they're looking potentially at other opportunities uh, in, in that, that um, property. And it's pretty amazing that they went from just a, a simple theme parks to such a complex mm-hmm. development. And Fork is, is engaged in all aspects of it. And from early stage planning, ma- master planning, coming up with the concept and, and programming, and then we'll take it through to all the way through to a certain stage. And because this is in China, we can't be the architects of record, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. And so we brought on a partner, and they're a local design institute, uh, Mm -hmm. LDI, and they'll be taking on the project from when we hand off at the design uh, development stage Mm -hmm. and complete the construction documentations. And then our our role will continue. We'll be part of the construction documentation reviews and on-site. So our future and what we see um, in Forex growth is is really servicing the client from end to end, providing that service from start to beginning. And what we call the lead, we're not the project managers, we're the design managers. And we typically, what we do is we bring on the team and we're the lead consultants. So we'll carry all the specialty consultants, mm. whether it be audio, visual, lighting, uh, irrigation, um, acoustic, but also all the specialty engineers. And if Anyone who's been to a theme park, it's too bad you don't get to see back a house because that's really the compelling thing. It's all the nuts and bolts of what goes into it. And mechanical engineering, plumbing, specialty electrical, it's, it's way beyond yeah, what can you can imagine. imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've learned uh, not too long ago there's a, a thing called uh, dirty power versus clean power for electrical engineering. And I didn't understand it, but anywhere where you have the complexities of technology and with screens and with control systems and that you have to have no variance in the uh, currency coming through. So there's ways of, and and this is very technical, I apologize, but it's very interesting to me. And what I've learned over the years in in our industry is you have to really look and think about the the complexity of what we do uh, and integrate it and take our knowledge and integrate into our next project. And that's really something wonderful for us. So to go back, those are really two fundamental projects. And just overall, what I think the the thing that makes us attractive to our clients is we... um, we work with operators around the world and we've learned from them and we continue to grow and we learn ourselves from the industry and so on. Hmm. And together we work 
um, to create these wonderful developments. And I mentioned to you one of the most complex things for us is typically we don't have one client in our projects. And uh, what, what makes it really complicated, and I joke sometimes we're like a marriage broker. So our true client is typically the developer, the one who has a deep pockets, who's writing the checks, who signs our contract, and they're, they typically license with a brand. And our brand, like a Legoland, for example, they're an investor but not a full investor. So they're our client as well, and they're a long-term relationship. And then, so we have to work together to make sure that we're all talking the same language and the result is what we all expect. And then our third client is really probably what you know makes me so excited is is the end user, the the guest who experiences it. So it's really a complex thing that we work on. Is you have to think of all those three facets as we're designing our projects. And I, I got to imagine that it's increasingly complex. I mean, you mentioned Legal Land and Shenzhen, um, incredible scale, incredible yep. size. Um, I'm also curious about h- how do you how do you come up with something that um, is authentic. And I know authenticity is a buzzword that is brought up more and more amongst developers, especially yeah. in that kind of entertainment realm. How do you create a destination that uh, really has that authentic feel beyond just the scale and the size? Um, are you very much part of that decision making? We are. And, and frankly, that's a big topic in our industry right now. In the past, uh, in, in emerging markets, People would hire us because they wanted our Western sensibilities, our Western professional um, uh, education and, and so on to implement into projects. But really, um, what what's happened over the years is they realize that they're losing some of their culture and that they're, it, truthfully, uh, places like China, for instance, they've learned so much over the years and, and they're really, you know, they are very entrepreneurial in, in the way they um, they grow. And and what's happening is um, they're seeing their, their culture, they're afraid their culture is disappearing and, and are being impacted by this Western influence. And so they went out there and people are being educated all over the world and learn and bring back that sensitivity to how we approach design. And so now we're being challenged that, wait a minute, we want, we love your brands, mm. but we also want it to relate to our culture. And how can you marry the two or have aspects of it that relate to us because frankly our culture has been around for centuries and and so on and it's just as important as as the the western cultures and and so we are um there's a dichotomy really about these western brands and and they want them because they're great for business but they also don't don't want to lose who they are and and so in, in most of our projects now, we, we consider how to integrate that local or that cultural aspect of the region into our designs. And, and that's really, it's a tricky thing to be honest with you because the brands want to be true to their brand and we need to follow their guidelines as you can imagine. But the client really doesn't, they, they want that, they, they need that and they've paid for that in the licensing, but they also want to make sure that their culture and they're proud of their culture. Like, like we're proud Torontonians or Canadians, and we want to showcase that. They want to do the same with their projects. Um, I want to talk a little bit about when things go sour for, for <laughs> theme parks. Um, I'm thinking back to um, the Downsview Lands, which is just north of Toronto, uh, or sorry, in North Toronto, I should say. 
Uh, back in the late 90s, there was a, a pretty wild proposal for something called Destination Technodome um, on the federally owned Canada Lands Company lands. And it was a proposal for a 12-story high you know, indoor ski hill and mm. uh, whitewater rafting uh, um, and, and a whole slew of, of uh, activities. It never went anywhere. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I shouldn't even um, characterize it as failed. But it was an idea that never came to fruition. Um, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about how theme parks, um, you know, the, the ideas that come alive, but what are some of the, the risks involved? I, th- I think for, for us, first and foremost, is the feasibility and market study. And I think that's where projects really s- start or fail. Mm-hmm. And, and some things, um, so we get hired to do preliminary work, to do the visioning, to do that you know, big picture, what could this be? And then with that, they usually, uh, we can recommend or they bring on their own feasibility consultant. And we work with them to come up with a game plan to make sure that it's feasible. That in some cases, uh, our clients are are maybe disillusioned by these studies or don't feel like expending that much money because it's still at the inception and they want to see, you know, they, they don't want to pay too much out of their pocket. Um, and so they don't do the initial feasibility study. Uh, and that's really key to what we we always recommend. That's the first step on our projects is to understand what the return on investment mostly we work in the private sector. In some cases, we do work for public sector. But when it comes to uh, private sector, there has to be return, of course, or the project won't go ahead. And I think that's where projects do fail. And what about the projects that um, got the green light, that were built, they opened the gates, um, but it just didn't uh, materialize the way that uh, the... uh, the designers and the owners had had envisioned. Yeah, in in most of those cases, I would go back to: Did they do a feasibility study? I, I honestly think that they had big visions, but they didn't understand the complexity of mm. of having this type of business and having experts like experts in operations or um, in in the understanding of who is coming to their establishment, and if it's the wrong location or if it's um, the wrong brand or it's not branded, people may not come. Are there theme parks that come to mind that, that fall into that category? Well, th- there actually is. There's a, I'm going to be very truthful and open here. There's a project we worked on in China, and it was some, one project that I actually um, worked on for about a year and a half, two years. And it went from creative design, which we started, and we took it all the way through and it went to design build at the end and is is completed it was this large vertical theme park in in china and the one thing that that the the reason it failed was the chair chairman's vision was they needed a certain level of attendance and no matter what our professional recommendation was they didn't listen and they didn't hire a feasibility consultant to to um, complete a study, and there they were, the chairman was very proud, and I can understand that he's a he's a very um, successful man, um, but they didn't understand the complexities of this industry, mm-hmm. and if you, our industry is very different than many others, it's it's not just um, a commercial center; it's beyond that, and if you don't have that you know that special recipe. Um, you, it won't be successful. And it ended up, it, it was open for a year and then it shut down. Wow. And because the operational cost to keep running this was too expensive for the the uh, return on investment. 
Um, so in, in designing uh, or working with your, your clients, uh, what about getting approvals uh, either at the, at the municipal level or right. other government level um, or other stakeholders being local residents or landowners? Yep. How do you navigate through all that, especially if you want to build a massive theme park with, uh, you know, say a big mountain, a fake mountain, um, and something that is really quite imposing, could be quite imposing in, in a community. How do you, how do you navigate through that? It, it's, it's a great question. And I, I think to me, the, um, it depends on the location. If in, internationally, as we know, um, there's different ways of getting approvals in terms of um, in, in nations where it may be a more um, single political system, Getting approvals for things is is less difficult than it is where, such as in Toronto, where um, you have to go through a whole gamut of uh, processes to get approval on something, and you're concerned about getting voted in the next time. In some countries, that's not a concern. Mm-hmm. If there's a and and but the, there's big vision there, and they have this idea that they want to complete this huge mixed-use development integrated resort because it'll be good for the country. And that process um, to get that approved is typically not as difficult as it, well, definitely wouldn't be a, a, as difficult as it would be in Toronto because they're not so worried about um, upsetting the community, uh, upsetting the community yeah. because frankly, they're rebuilding the community. And how I feel about that or how we feel about that, well, that's another country and mm-hmm. I can't pass a judgment on that. And they have these big visions of creating um, you know, something better for the future. And, you know, we see, especially in China, phenomenal growth of the middle class. And what that means in, in for, for Canada or for the U.S., it happened over a long time. If we can remember, we, I, I can, I, I'm not an expert at this, we all, a lot of people grew up in the country and we slowly started moving to the cities. And we can see in Canada now, the cities are really growing and in the country, the population is decreasing. It's the same thing in China, but the degree of that happening over a sh- very short period of time means massive changes. Mm-hmm. And that's really, it, it's, it's exciting for me to see big vision developments and big plans for brand new cities happen overnight, um, or it seems that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas here in, in, in Canada, that you don't have that because we had the luxury of time and our middle class and the economy growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in emerging markets, we see they, they, they're they growing in rates that is just unimaginable. Sure. And it's really fundamental. And, you know, if, if, if I look to Toronto today and we see, the, Toronto's really growing and I'm really proud of our city and seeing all the, the residential commercial development that's happening. But we see a widening gap here in Toronto where the infrastructure is not keeping up, whether it's public spaces, water, sewage, or transportation, you know, road or cycling or, or public transit. We're not keeping up. In China, because, or in, in other emerging markets, they have these large visions. The infrastructure is part of that vision. And when they're, they're allowing all this commercial development to happen, it's aligned with the development of rapid transit and all the things that come along with it. So I'm really amazed at how we, I see those developments happen. And then I, with that perspective, I come back to Toronto. And, and, and again, I'm very proud of Toronto and I love living here. And you just look at the development and it, it changes so fast. But 
unfortunately, we're slipping. Right. And I guess uh, on the theme of stakeholder engagement in, in certain countries where there's more of an author- authoritarian rule, yeah. um, that community voice uh, may not be as um, as strong or may not have as, carry as much weight. Whereas here in a, in, a, in a vibrant democracy where we're giving everyone the opportunity, it slows things down, it, it, it would seem. One other stakeholder engagement, um, and this is a bit of a stretch, but I got to think about the planet and on the impact on the planet. Um, how do you approach sustainability in, in your design? Is that is that a key plank now in what you're delivering? Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny funny you mentioned that. We, as, as when I stepped in as president, I started a sustainability task group in our company. Um, not that we didn't think of it before as designers, but it really, in the entertainment industry, it's been slower than others. And it's probably because it's private versus public. And, 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 and frankly, it's been international. And so the, the, to me, sustainability is at the forefront of moving forward. And whether a municipality or government is requiring sustainable um, initiatives in the projects or not, no matter what location, we're moving forward with introducing it into our projects. We were challenged before because a lot of times people wouldn't listen. Sometimes sustainability costs money in the short term. In the long term, in terms of operations, it actually, in a lot of cases, is a benefit. And so, you know, I've been working with our team in our office to figure out how we can best communicate that to our clients. And again, it's not our Toronto clients or or Canadian or U.S., it's, it's overseas. Um, what would it, be an example of how you're implementing sustainable sustainable design? Sure. So what um, so what we're doing is we've cam- come up with a, a, a toolkit and also a primer document. So when we go out to pitch projects and pitch hiring us, we also um, have a guidelines for how to introduce sustainability onto mm-hmm. projects. And this toolkit we have is a whole list for different types of projects. What aspects could be sustainable that we could introduce? And we've also, we realized that uh, we need partners. We, so we have reached out in our community here and have sustainable consultants on board our projects now. And, and the more we're introducing them onto projects and our clients are listening. And that's the exciting thing. Um, and what, what we're doing is we're bringing in the experts and helping to support our work, but also we see the operators and the brands knowing that, you know, the the youth today are demanding it. They are demanding with their dollars. They are looking for companies that are have that sustainability goal or or uh, that mindset in mind, and that's where they'll align their spending. And if you're not on board, they're not going to spend their money there. And that's mm-hmm. really the future of our industry. And we see that in large scale projects like uh, one client of our Six Flags has introduced solar parks Hmm. in a lot of their parks now Um, and the solar in some cases actually over the parking so it's twofold this solar farm is uh, you know getting energy for the park and reducing costs but it's also shading the car so it's not you know Hmm. uh, not painful to get in at the on those hot days and we see everything from single-use plastic being reduced we see um, a whole bunch of different initiatives, whether it's being um, uh, reducing, you know, the, the waste or the runoff, stormwater runoff. Um, all those things are important. And, and really what, what our next step is to communicate with all these operators and these brands that we can introduce different methodology mm-hmm. to make sure that your park is sustainable. 
I think the future will be when will there be a, a, a zero, you know, a zero, right? What's sorry? What's the expression? Uh, carbon, zero, carbon neutral. Carbon neutral. Yeah. So when will there be a carbon neutral park or destination? Yeah, and that's being talked about now, and that's pretty unbelievable. A couple of years ago, I don't think that would happen. But big companies like Six Flags or Legoland or, frankly, um, Universal Studios are all thinking about ways to um, bring that you know, sustainability to their brand and making sure that you know people people can make a choice. If they can either support a company that ignores sustainability or they can focus on and spend their money at, at places that do. It's a fascinating industry. I want One last question. You've traveled the world. You've worked for many different clients. You've experienced theme parks. Um, what's, is there one top of mind that you really, really enjoy experiencing? Is there a, a destination in, in the world that, um, that really resonates with you? Oh, <laughs> please don't ask me that question. <laughs> or is there is there um, a type of theme park that that you really enjoy visiting? You know, I I love uh, I'm a, I'm a big roller coaster fanatic, mm-hmm. so I love going. I, I truthfully I, I couldn't select a favorite, and the experiences I, I enjoy most are when I'm taking out of my comfort zone, or when I'm taking out of the re- the everyday reality, as I mentioned earlier, when I can escape for that moment mm-hmm. and forget about my work or forget about, you know, it's, it's funny, actually, to, to backtrack a little bit, working in this industry, it it's very, it, it taints us a little bit. When we experience a theme park, I'm not going in as a guest, I'm going in as a designer, looking at things, what's working, what's not working, that's hard to do because sometimes I just want to just have fun and, and, you know, be a big kid again. And so when I I think the most successful projects are when I, as a professional in the industry, step back and and do not think about the inner workings Mm -hmm. see it for what it is and see it for what the guest experiences. And that's sometimes hard to do, but that's where I really enjoy most of all. Yeah. It's an exciting, um, it's such an exciting industry you're in, and I, I got to say, I'm envious of your career path and the in- industry you're in. This has been really interesting, Kale. I really appreciate you um, uh, taking the time to meet with me, and um, I wish you and your firm ongoing success. And um, if you are going to the upcoming uh, ULI Spring Meeting, uh, hopefully we'll meet then. Uh, so thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Okay, great. Thank you.